Welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, hosted by me, Coach Ben Rosario, featuring the Hoka NAZ Elite athletes, and from time to time, a special guest from the world of running. We talk training and racing, but we also just talk, and we go way deeper than just running. The Midday Treat is your chance to get to know us as people, so follow along and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, check out this episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. All right, everybody, welcome to episode two of our mini-series that we're doing in the spring of 2023 with our NAZ Elite podcast, where we recap some of our biggest and best races from the previous winter. So we had a really good January and February, and we're recapping some of those races here this spring on our podcast and sort of reliving them before we move into the outdoor season. So my guest today... Uh, for this particular episode is Abby Nichols, and we're going to be talking about her 429 mile at the BU Scarlet and White Invite uh, in early February. Abby, welcome. Thanks. <laughs> you remember this race? It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I've been kind of thinking about it today to try to see what I remember about it. But yeah, I think I, I think I remember it pretty well. Well, hopefully we'll jog your memory. I watched it a couple times and took some notes. And so we'll definitely go through the race sort of section by section. I really have enjoyed um, or I really enjoyed when I talked to Chrissy today and, and did her podcast, sort of asking her what she's thinking during the race. It's very interesting uh, to hear what the athlete is thinking as the race is going on. But for a little context uh, leading into this race, couple things. So first of all, you guys went out to Boston a couple weeks prior to this race, and you raced at the Terrier Classic. You raced a three thousand. Then you guys stayed in Boston uh, to get ready for this meet, and then and then you came back to Flagstaff after this. So, what was the trip like? Uh, how did the race the week before go? Just was it fun to be out there with the group training, uh, etc.? Just tell me all about Boston. Yeah, it was fun. Um, we were in a cute Airbnb in Cambridge. And so, I don't know, we got a lot of chance chances to hang out with each other. We played a lot of Catan, <laughs> like a ton of Catan the first few nights, and then we kind of overdid it. Um, it was nice. I think it was really nice for Katie because she was near her family, so we got to hang out with her boyfriend a lot. Um, I liked running in Boston. It was really nice to run on the river and get out of the snow a little bit in Flagstaff, have some sea level training. We got to go to Harvard's track a lot and it was nice there. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, yeah, you guys got kind of lucky in the sense that Boston could be pretty nasty that time of year, but actually Flagstaff was pretty nasty and Boston was kind of okay. Yeah, I see it. I mean, I thought it was nice in Boston. Oh, there was about... There was a few days where it was extremely cold. It was like That's negative right. degree. And that our Airbnb was so old that it couldn't keep up. So I think one of the nights it was like in the 50s in the Airbnb. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's all of Boston, I've heard. So yeah, yeah. that was kind of fun. <laughs> and, and tell me about, uh, we, we're not uh, recapping this race in detail, but you ran a heck of a 3,000 the week before. You ran 848, which was a, a giant PB and a really great race. You got second place. Um, coming off of that, what were your thoughts, and did it give you a lot of confidence heading into this mile? Yeah, um, I definitely didn't really know where my fitness was at because I, I haven't been used to training at altitude. It's kind of hard to tell 
where you're at. I got, I got kind of used to, you know, what it felt like to be really fit and bolder and everything in Flagstaff has been pretty hard. So I couldn't really tell. Um, and so it definitely gave me confidence running that fast. Um, I definitely needed a race like that. That's tactical again, just to remember how to be competitive and everything. And Alan gave me a lot of good advice after the three K practically to get ready for the mile. And, um, like he, he helped me get, figure out how to get in a good position for the mile. And I think that really helped me run well in the mile. Cause I was gotten a good spot right in the beginning and then just pretty much stuck there the whole time until the end. So yeah. Give me an yeah. example. What, what was the conversation? What, what did you do wrong in the three K that you were trying to correct in the mile? Um, I got in a good position in the very beginning of the three K and then I, everyone kind of, like made moves to the front and I got pushed to the back really early and I was a little too nervous to make a big move back up in the front because I'm always worried about using too much energy in the beginning of a race and stuff but Alan gave me good advice in the mile to kind of like I think like the first lap I kind of got in a like the first 200 I got in a good position and he told me not to be afraid to make a second little push the first 400 because it won't affect me later in the race and so I definitely did that and I wasn't afraid to do that because it helped him just tell me that it wouldn't affect me later yeah <laughs> um, yeah and so I did kind of make a second push and I found myself in a good spot and no one really took it from me <laughs> yeah no that's a perfect segue so you know what you're talking about is being in about fourth place well third if you don't count the rabbit and you, yeah. you, you kind of found yourself in there and the first 400, you guys came through in, you know, 67, 68. So right around 430 pace, how much let's get into your mind now, how much were <laughs> you focused, if at all on the splits or were you just focused on being in the right position? Um, I wasn't really focused on the splits. I do remember coming through 800 and it, I think we were, went through in like 215 maybe or 216. Yep, yep. And I kind of remember thinking that it was fast, but I I knew I could do it, so I wasn't really worried about the pace. Um it the pace also just felt good. I wasn't breathing super hard. It was just kind of I remember my legs feeling like I couldn't they, like my legs were the problem trying to keep up with the pace. Um but I kept trying to like, like a gap kept forming between the two front gals and me. And I kept trying to like keep it from getting too big and kind of closing it as much as I could every once in a while. But, and then I think I saw that there was only a few more laps left and on the indoor track, they just go by so fast. So mentally it was pretty easy to stay intact at the end. Yeah. What did you think of that BU track? Everybody says it's so fast. Yeah, I think I think the environment is cool and it, it's definitely old and I it feels kind of historic for some reason. Um I I couldn't maybe it was a little bouncy. Everyone says it's bouncy. Um I don't know. I think the time just came and I don't know if that was the track or the environment or the fitness. It's hard to say. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of everything. Well, in the in the competition, yeah. of course. Um, you know, I meant to say at the at the top, you had Aisha Prottlier in there. You had some top collegians in there. Uh, a couple of other young pros like yourself. So it was a good field. You know, 
no offense to you or to anyone else, it wasn't the craziest field that we saw all indoor season, but it was good. Did you go in thinking a whole lot about the field or were you mostly focused on yourself? Definitely a little bit because it's, it's a different world racing people you've kind of been looking up to. Like I've definitely been following Aisha and her running for a while because she was training in Boulder. And um, I mean, I knew who Allie Cash was, uh, but I feel like once you're in the race, everything kind of goes out the the door and like, I wasn't really thinking about it a whole lot. I was more kind of just focused on myself. Now, when you got to 1200, you're at, you're at 323. So you're still right on that 67, 68, 430 kind of pace. Now you're in third place because the rabbit has dropped off. Aisha has kind of taken the uh, point and is, and is continuing to run fast, but she's not necessarily picking it up. It's kind of still in that 67, 68 range. So now with two laps to go, what's going through your head? Um, I think I was just kind of thinking in my head, stay, stay with them as long as I can. And who knows what can happen at the very end. Um, I just was not worried about the end yet. Just trying to stay with them as long as I could and not letting them get away from me. And I feel like also every time I passed Alan, he would kind of be like, don't let them get away. Yeah. (laughs) That would help too. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's interesting that you're saying that because I did notice watching the replay that there were a couple of times where the gap was just a little bigger than normal. You know, it was you weren't right on them a couple of different times. So that wasn't you trying to stay relaxed. You you were running really fast and trying to hang on. Yeah, I I watched it back too and I it didn't seem as big as it does when you watch it back cuz I don't know. From my perspective, they were very close to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something I need to definitely work on because I've done that before in other races where I don't. I don't know if it's like it feels better to have a little more space to me. I don't, I don't really know. No, but that's why it's good to watch it back, right? Because you know now that you can get up closer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not to be like I think I was kind of afraid to be up on the bank more. Cause I, I don't know. I wanted to be as inside as I could, but I don't, maybe in the future I won't be as afraid to be on the shoulder and up on the slant a little more. Well, and I think (laughs) before we get into the last part of the race and what happened there, it is interesting from a context perspective to know that you didn't run a whole lot of fast miles or 1500s in college. Certainly you never ran this fast, uh, this far into a mile, so was there some level of naivete or ignorance in terms of what it was like to be in this fast of a mile seeing as you hadn't run that or was that not an issue? Uh well I I went to college from high school wanting to be a miler. I always kind of felt like I had a little bit of wheels. Yeah. <laughs> um but I've never really been able to like prove that but I kind of felt it um may it might be kind of naive <laughs> but uh i think last year at cu i i think i was a lot fitter than what i ran in the 1500 i only got one chance to run it and it was kind of windy and not set up to be as fast as i could run and so i was kind of also relying on that past like 
Mark and Heather told me I was like fit enough to run pretty fast 1500 and I kind of still trusted them and Alan definitely gave me a lot of confidence saying I could just go up with the race and be right there and stay attached so good good (laughs) so so the other the other question I have is you had in in the last two lapses the the week before in the 3000 couple of things had happened. One, one you already addressed, which was you had found yourself sort of in a bad position and had to move up to get up to the leaders. And then when you did get up to the leaders, you went by, you know, with 400 to go, got a lead. And then Taryn Rawlings sort of got a second wind and I'll kick you over the last hundred meters. Was, was that experience something that you were thinking about going into this last two laps here? Were you trying specifically to wait a little longer this time? Yeah, definitely. That was in my mind a little bit because it kind of caught me off guard in that race when I kind of got beat at the last second. Uh, It just around the 200 meter track, the finish line comes so fast. Yep. (laughs) And it's really, it made me really appreciate runners I've seen in the past get kind of like leaned out at the end because it's just like almost there's no time to make up for it (laughs) yeah and you need a little more real estate sometimes when someone just sneaks up on you like that um I don't even know if I would have had another gear but it just kind of surprised me and so in the mile I I kind of pretended like someone was going to be there anyway and tried to just finish through the line better well, and you didn't take the lead until, you know, 150 to go. You know, you didn't you didn't pass uh, Aisha until 150 to go. So you were in the last lap when you finally took the lead. Um, how good did you still feel at the bell with 200 meters to go? Uh, I don't know if I was feeling great, but I just had another gear still. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's always that kind of last gear that I'm not really using in the race, because it's it's that kind of gear that you can't really hold until the last second. If that makes any sense. Sure, sure. Well, uh, one of the things, one of the things, not to interrupt, but one of the things that's interesting, right, when you get to the last lap and you watch a race, is if you sit back and think about it, if you got to the last lap, you're whoever's there is probably pretty similar fitness. Because you got all the way there. So then you start thinking, well, what separates these athletes over the last lap? And I do think a lot of it is mental. So it sounds like you still had a very positive attitude going into the last lap. You were no longer in that hang-on mode. You had switched to sort of an attacking mode. How does that happen? Is that a real conscious switch in your mind or was it sort of natural? I think I kind of expected someone else to make that move earlier and so I was kind of waiting for someone else to make it which is maybe also like a confidence thing like I didn't really think I would be the one to have it at the end um and then I I also remember this I think it was like 150 to go I don't know who said it or who they were saying it to or if someone even said this but I I remember hearing someone say go (laughs) and then I literally was like I gotta go yeah yeah. And I don't I don't know who that was. I asked Alan if he told me to go and he said he didn't. And so I don't know. <laughs> and so I think like that moment, I don't know, it kind of woke me up. Cause you get in these like weird rate. I don't know, your mind gets kind of weird in a race sometimes. And like 
I kind of had to wake myself up at the end and like tell myself to like push, you know? Yeah, it is a conscious decision. <laughs> it's a conscious decision yeah. to kick, whether it's whether you hear somebody saying go or whether it happens in your own mind. It's not it's not going to happen without you making the decision to to go. Um, yeah. and, and I think that is a big separator over the last lap in, in any race. So you talked about you got into the lead. You kind of ran scared for the last hundred, making sure that nobody was going to get you. You powered home, which I think helped you get under 430. Um, and you ran 429.09. So last couple of questions. When you saw that time, did it surprise you? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Uh, it was also just re really exciting too. kind of like, I don't know, it's one of those barriers. Like even breaking nine in the 3k I feel like is exciting and I don't know the barriers just get lower and lower as you get better but it's just kind of one of those like finally I ran a race that I could be really proud of because it had been a while since I've been super excited about a race and I could actually be proud of that and you know pat myself on the back a little bit <laughs> well and look you know this podcast was about this specific race but we have to at least look forward a little bit so you ran an 848 in the 3k blasted the 850 barrier you blasted the 430 barrier in the mile then you ran really well at usa's in both the 3000 and the 1500 meters uh at the indoor championships and now you look forward to outdoors what kind of confidence do you now have going into let's say a 5000 meter outdoor race based on how this race went that we talked about based on that 3000 based on your indoor experiences at the championships in albuquerque um what uh what does Abby think about outdoor season? Uh I think running a 429 mile kind of validates that I can be a good 5K'er and maybe I belong in that more than I may have thought in the past cuz in the I've done really well in the 10K but I've always wanted to do the mile or the 5K more cuz the, the 10K is just a little long. Yeah. <laughs> For me yeah. right now, I think maybe one day I'll really like it but um, yeah, I think I'll have more confidence in the 5k now that I've kind of gone down in distance and done. Okay. So then in the 5k, I can hopefully hold a faster pace than I have in the past. So <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, well, this was awesome. This is exactly what I wanted to do. Simple podcast. Just talk about a race. I think, especially if you think about a high school athlete listening to this, I think they learned a lot about the mile and, and how to approach it and how the segments of the mile go and what's going on in your head and then what it takes to close really well. So, uh, really appreciate you being on. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the midday treat with NAZ elite. I'm Addison Rosario, Coach Ben's daughter. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NAZ underscore Elite. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter on NAZElite.com. And stay tuned for the next episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. Mm -hmm.